It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yolo Kali. Keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Ah! Nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! listening to What's Up on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from the Chicago Cultural Center. This is our first show of our season 19, seven years of doing radio. Seven years, that's a long time. For today's show, you'll hear all about the 125th anniversary of Chicago's Cultural Center. From how it is, how it's been activated by the Department of Cultural Affairs and special events after the pandemic and reopening the Grand Army of Republic, the GAR Memorial Hall, and round doubts. And on top of all that amazing content, we will also be having interviews. Join in as we'll talk about historian Tima Samuelson, Deputy Commissioner of Programming Nancy Villafranca at the D Case, and Buddy Store Director Stella Brown. We'll also have interviews with some of the artists, like Damon Reed, here that are displaying their work during the event, as well as Vox Populi people that are attending to the occasion. Stay tuned to listen to this and much, much more. Okay, so welcome. My name is Diego. I'm here with Sid Woo. and Jeremiah. What's up? And we are, we're at the Cultural Center, part of the 125th anniversary. Yeah. yeah! To kick this off, we would love to walk you through the stored past and later hear from people keeping this legacy alive in tw- 2022. How are you guys feeling? You guys feeling good? You guys feeling excited? Yeah. yeah, I'm really excited about this. Feeling so good. There's a lot of people, even though that snow came in like nothing today. So, oh, yeah, pretty pumped. Yeah, oh my God, like yeah, a light drizzle. And it was like just powdered sugar all over the place. So what do you guys know about this location? Well, completed in 1897, the building first served as Chicago's first central public library. The city spared no expense, hoping to prove to the world that Chicago was a class of its own. As you walk through the halls today, you can still see these extravagant details like Italian marble, brass, and of course, the world's largest stained glass Tiffany dome. I mean, who, who could forget? You know, we're pretty much right under it now here in the Buddy Store. Wow. If that wasn't enough, the Chicago Cultural Center features another dome in the Grand Army of the Republic Rotunda, where the bulk of the restoration over the past few years has been focused. It's been a $15 million project, part of the largest private donation ever made to D-Case, to bring those rooms back up to scuff. Overseeing it all has been the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. With their offices upstairs, you can be sure they live, eat, and breathe the importance of this country's first free cultural venue. Our first guest has worked at several Chicago cultural institutions, including Yola Cali's home, the National Museum of Mexican Art. She holds a Master's in Education and Art from University of Illinois. Today, they serve as the city's Deputy Commissioner Programming and Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Thanks for being with us. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yes. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Nancy Villafranca, and Hello. as you said, I work here at DKs. I've been here seven months, and I'm their new Deputy Commissioner for Programming. So, lovely to be with you. Pleasure to meet you. Likewise. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to come uh, mm-hmm. talk to us today. We got some questions for you. One of the first questions is, what is the importance of a project like the restoration of the city of Chicago as a whole? 
Yeah, well, this project is, is very important for many reasons. One, you know, the, the reason why the room was even created, you know, back in 1897 when this beautiful building was made to be a public library. And that was um, really to honor all of the Union soldiers, the veterans, honor their, their memory, their, their sacrifice, right? But also it was a gathering space for them to continue to, you know, be with one another, advocate with one another, and actually try to achieve things that were uh, going to better themselves and their families. So to build morale and keep their spirits alive? Yes, that's one really good, you know, good way um, to, to say it. And, you know, it meant a lot back then, obviously, but it continues to mean a lot to us now, uh, too, because the idea of sacrifice and freedom, I mean, people conti have continued. We still continue to, to do this in, in different ways, and so that, you know, resonates a lot. And a space like that one sort of uh, helps us remember, you know, the, the past sacrifices, but I think also it inspires us to think about what we need to do today to make things better, too. Yeah, no, totally. Like, past influences the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I totally, totally understand yeah. that. Next question. What are key areas of arts and culture that you would like to target during your time in D-Case? Oh, great question. <laughs> uh, well, for one, actually, is to connect with young people a lot more. And so Aww. just having you all be, you know, being here is really important to me, I think, because of the background and experience that I come from in arts education and just youth development, youth empowerment, youth in the arts, uh, that is really important to me. Um, equity in the arts is really important to me. Um, community engagement is really important to me. So, you know, I'm really excited for, for us to uh, program the cultural center again. I, you know, when it, there was a time when it was so full of activity and so we want to do that again, but we want to do that in collaboration. We want to do that in collaboration with folks like you, with artists, with organizations. So I'm really excited about that. The same would be said about, you know, programming Millennium Park. How do we better partner with uh, arts organizations so that we're sharing the space and programming our city together? How do we partner with artists, arts organizations, and uh, those who are interested in bringing that uh, cultural programming into their neighborhood is also uh, really important. So I hope that, you know, <laughs> I get to put, I guess, my stamp on it as well, uh, but also just really be considerate of what's important and how do we increase access to those who've not had it? How do we connect with those who don't even know who we are and what we can do for, for artists, for the communities, and just to continue to uplift, um, you know, cultural work everywhere that, that is happening in the city that's awesome and you know we're happy to help you check off a couple of those boxes today awesome <laughs> um but like on that topic of making that access and programming with those gar rooms we were actually just up there and there's this huge auditorium space that's great for speaking and events yes. do you have anything in mind for like that future and goals with that um along the same lines mm -hmm. of having youth access and yes um are you talking about the hall with the big windows yes or okay yeah because there's also an adjacent uh theater that is also getting renovated and it should be revealed and you know and uh, just finalized in, in a few months but we are actually going to be conducting um, a study ourselves in the next several months as well so we would love to connect with all of you because we like i, I was saying earlier we want to share in the decision making about what kind of cultural programming we should have and so we want to connect you know with folks like you like i said young artists current 
artists that are practicing, those that are you know, working in their career, but also arts organizations who want to expand their audiences, right? Who want to increase their visibility, who maybe are just looking for space. And, and perhaps there's a, a program here that allows them to plug into the resources that we have. So we're actually looking to engage with our communities so that the, the space is programmed and really reflects the diversity of our city and all the different types of ways, um, you know, by the discipline, the art form, uh, but also age, um, you know, where we are from, uh, cultural background. I mean, just in all kinds of ways, we hope that um, we are able to um, be that diverse in, in our collaboration, but also in that kind of programming that we will share. So open to conversation about you know planning for the future is definitely where we are right now oh. speaking about planning so chicago's got like one of the biggest music festivals where does dk's fall into that when it comes to like planning that's a really good question uh we we play different roles depending you know on who's organizing a festival right so there are some festivals that we organize right that are focused on all the the beautiful music that came you know has come out of chicago like the blues festival the gospel festival, the jazz festival, the house festival. So, oh. you know, those are our festivals, right? But now there's a lot of other festivals that are being organized by a lot of other folks. And um, we support in the way that we can. You know, a lot of times they just, they need their permit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we play uh, just a, a different role depending, like I said, on, on who's organizing. And nowadays there's just so many wonderful um, cultural producers who are putting out, um, you know, some great festivals, and so we, you know, we also like to partner with with those who who are doing the work already. So, we've got all that lined up for the summer. We've got uh, our Millennium Park Music Series as well. So every Monday and Thursday in the summertime, um, come out and see, you know, what our Chicago artists are doing right now. And we're hoping to, um, within each performance, see a lot of collaboration so that we can also start to see the the intersectionality you know across the musical genres um, and styles that are just here part of our city so we've got you know Aaron Water Show comes back that you know we organize <laughs> that as well Taste of Chicago of course it's going to have you know our music um, as well um, there's actually going to be three pop-ups of Taste of Chicago in three of our neighborhoods in addition to returning to downtown in Buckingham Fountain. So we're really excited about that. I'm really excited about the pop-ups. Yeah. I like, I like food and music, so it's the only great. Can't go wrong. <laughs> I just like dancing in general, so like oh. go to a festival, we just immediately go into the music. So glad you reminded me. We have summer dance in our, in our parks as well. Um, and like I said, we are really trying to intentionally partner with you so that you all could see, you know, how, how, how can we be part of this in a way that centers, you know, you. Um, so if you like dance, I think we're going to be uh, definitely reaching out to you because this year is actually also the year of dance. So it's our year to be focusing and highlighting as much um, dance as possible. And, and hopefully there's, there's still some time, you know, to, to um, collaborate with young people on maybe some things uh, we can do here in the cultural center later on in the year but also in millennium park so that when uh, young people come out to the park there's there's things that are that done specifically you know with their interest in mind and they're they're relevant that they're relevant yeah. to them and, and the ideas can actually come from folks like you okay yeah speaking of the year of the dance how does the 125th anniversary event fit in with the chicago theme for the 2022 year of the dance 
Um, so later today uh, mm -hmm. at three o'clock, we are going to feature a performance by Red Clay uh, Dance Company uh, oh, wow. of Chicago. So, you know, we are uh, dance is the art form that is actually going to interpret the themes uh, like sacrifice and freedom that you, you know, you, you will see when you enter the GAR room. So yes. um, we are interpreting all of that through through dance making and you know, with such an amazing uh, dance company here um, in Chicago. So we're really excited. Come back at 3 o'clock today, <laughs> and you'll see it. I'll try. <laughs> so when we did our research, we noticed that these funds for the GAR restoration, since it's just a huge and massive scale project, it's one of, like, the largest private donations that was made. What does it mean to have that kind of funds and access for both the department and the city as a whole? I mean, beyond words, right, how much gratitude we have. Um, this was over a $15 million, uh, you know, donation um, that was given to, to restore such an important room, but also to just give it the energy um, and the, what it needed to then be made there, you know, its own by, by the next set of generations, right? So it's been here 125 years. You know, what will happen in there in the next 125 years? So it's really important. Uh, we are very thankful, um, you know, being there yesterday and taking all the sites in, just thinking about how it really takes a village, right? There were dozens and dozens of specialists who restored this, right? But it would not have been possible without such a donation. So we are extremely grateful um, to the anonymous funders who've made this all possible. Absolutely. Did you have like a favorite part when you went through it? Like something that really stood out to you? Oh my gosh, there was so, so much. Um, I think because of the time of day that I came and it, the sunlight was just beaming so beautifully, you know, I was recalling that I had been in that space before, but I didn't really remember it much. It was not memorable. But being in there, I felt like I was connected to the past, you know, looking at the designs and, um, you know, the symbols up on the walls that, you know, were like, it really chronicled the different battles, for example. And it f could feel like long ago it had nothing to do with me right but it, it, i felt connected because especially you know as a mexicana first generation chicagoan here you don't always get to see those connections but but i or feel them and and i did right because all those people who've come before have made so many sacrifices for for the rest of us here and that really just resonates uh you know with with me especially yeah, and you can't put a price on that feeling yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> we were just remember like when we had seen it as kids, like it was so dark and just coming into there, you do feel as like you're part of something. Yeah, and our, and almost like you wonder, oh, you know, why am I here? What's the purpose? But I think now with giving it this type of restoration, it restores its significance, its stature, and it makes you feel, you know, included and part of it. And like this was really thought, uh, well thought out, um, and it's here for for us um, as viewers and participants. Just being in the space alone is a space of reflection. It's gorgeous, um, but then there's also so much programming that we can do in, <laughs> in the future. So that's exciting. Do you have like? a dream place that you wish you could give the same like restoration detail to Ooh. in the city? <laughs> um, 
Well, we already have another beautiful place, right? Well, we have several, but the President Bradley Hall, uh, I mean, that one gets so many visits. I would probably be more excited to see the other places where they're interactive, kind of like what you guys are doing here right now, right? So how can folks drop in um, and take in just the breathtaking beauty of some of those spaces, but also start doing things, interacting with people just across the hall. We have our learning lab and we're gonna have you know an artist um, here in, in a little bit. Um, so I'm very interested in the interactivity spaces where we could do more so that people connect with what's around, talk to people, see artists in action. So I'm, I'm really interested in that. Um, seeing how can we continue to embed technology in some yes. of those spaces as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to all of that. But for now, I'm going to let GAR kind of soak it, soak in all this attention for the time being. For sure, have its moment. Yeah. Regarding your history, we heard you spend time at our museum, of course, mm -hmm. and but and others. But do you have a favorite memory with the National Museum of Mexican Art? Oh like, my goodness! Like a like just sort of nostalgic kind of favorite memory. Yeah, I have several. <laughs> um, By all means. Well, I work most of the time in the education department and the education program. So there's an earlier memory that I have of giving a tour, because that's one of the things that you know I did when I was in college, and seeing a family of a nearby school come, um, and there was. Um, mom who was chaperoning was with her son he was like nine or ten years old and when he saw something inside a display he recognized it right he's in a state-of-the-art beautiful museum and it was actually this section was a section on corn and how important it has been you know to our culture and there was this object an artifact a metate that was you know hundreds of years old next to a, torti a tortillera a tortilla press right a tortilla maker yeah and the kid's eyes like just opened up and lit up and he said mom look like in our kitchen oh, wow. oh my Aww. gosh and everything just kind of came together for me right there how i could feel his pride how he feels he felt seen i felt seen and it just kind of emboldened me how museums and cultural work can have that when you're being thoughtful about who you're reaching and who you're centering. Um, so that's one of my favorites. I have many, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's one that continues to stand out. It just reminds me, you know, why I'm doing the work that I'm doing even right now. Wow, that's that's really beautiful. Like, wow. Just... Yeah, I usually cry when I say that story and I kept it together today. <laughs> I, I felt it, you know, but I, um, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I think we're all coming a little close to that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It does mean something to like see something of yourself reflected in a place of importance. And yes. I think that goes back to what we were talking about with the JAR, like that places for all of us here. And it is, exactly. And it's like preserved and like shown to the public in like a polite and respectful way. You just feel like, hey, that's mine. I have that, I have that home and people are interested in this. Yes. Wow, like it just gives you that nice feeling. And as you it said, does. feelings feelings like you can't you can't fake those those, yeah. are, those are priceless and it connects you to you know one another you learn about maybe people who we think are different than us too but then you realize how similar you know we actually really are and that there's a lot of things that we share that are just human yeah you know like having pride of 
an item that you have in our kitchen. Yes. Um, and just recognizing that all of us have those moments as well. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah. And it sort of just connects us all and makes us all human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really enjoyed the story you gave about the kid. It kind of reminds me of me because as a kid, I, I, I felt ashamed being Mexican because everybody mm-hmm. around me is like, they're trying to be American, like where yeah. I live. And then, so I had like the tortilla yeah. plant thing in my house and my friend came over. He's like, what's that? It's weird. What do you yeah. have that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. We just make tortillas. Yeah. So seeing like places that you're like creating, yes. it just really makes me happy to be yeah. like, oh yeah, this is my history. It's honoring. Yeah, it's, 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 it's honoring it's where, yeah, your it's culture. It's really amazing. It's really from. powerful. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I really mess with what you're doing. Yeah, thank, thank you. Actually, you guys are inspiring me too because I, you know, a lot of people, and I actually learned this working uh, at, at the National Museum of Mexican Art, a lot of little kids were just, you know, they're getting information from so many places and oftentimes you get these negative stereotypes, a, a, a lot. You get a lot of negative stereotypes of you, your people. and. So I, I actually learned that our, our little ones who were in, you know, are in school were taking it all that in and we're starting to have sometimes negative associations with our cultural identity. Um, so again, it was another moment, speaking of memories, where it just reminded me how important the work is um, for us to have just really strong, positive cultural identity, to be really proud and not let that like, be shaken um, because the media will do, will do that. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, we'll do that to you. Yeah, yeah, the children are very impressionable. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Well, we're all impressionable to a certain degree, but when we're young, it's to a more extreme degree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us some time to really put reverence, I think, above yeah. all else and yeah. holding ourselves and that kind of esteem. I think it's all good for everybody to take a moment and. Thank you. Like Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this this is what I needed today. <laughs> so um, I'm yeah. glad we were able to like give you what you needed. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm going to reach out to you as well so we can continue thinking about how we work together. Thank you. We're looking forward to it. And we really appreciate you spending the time. Yeah. Thank with you so much. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us. This has been What's Up on WLPN, Chicago 105.5. And we'll be right back after a short break. Music, please. Listening still to What's Up on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5. I'm here with Diego, Jeremiah, and Estefania, and my name is Sid. Hello. Hi. So, everybody's been, so everybody's staying going. Uh, well, Good. to be honest, 
we had a pretty eventful day with like we saw the Tiffany Dome, right? Yeah, oh, that was so pretty. It was really cool. Apparently, I found out what my cancer symbol actually looks like, and it bears really striking resemblance to sixty nine. Hmm. <laughs> the numbers together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the Tiffany Dome that Jeremiah is talking about, there's some zodiac symbols kind of encasing one of the inner circles. Um, so it got us talking the conversation. I think it's most of our first time being here at the Chicago Cultural Center. So It's my first time. I've walked in front of the cow that's on Washington um, several times, but I've never been inside the building before today. It's very beautiful. What was your like first impression coming in and seeing everything all lit up? Cow. Uh, cow <laughs> it's huge it's really big there's, there's a, a lot to see here um and we only saw a small part of it yeah so diego there's a cow near like the entrance it's on washington yeah it's like a golden I, took the other I guess entrance, it's a bull so. oh yeah so it's like it's like it's on the other entrance and it's like it's like a bronze cow oh. with horns and yeah, it's like yeah. so cool it's I almost, it's almost it. like i didn't like, know it was part of the like, cultural sensor like. yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. I think it's actually a bull, but it looks like a cow from far away. <laughs> we call it a cow. I love cows. <laughs> uh, cows are pretty cool. No canoe. <laughs> oh my god, what are we talking about now? <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we also saw like the place where they're where they uh, I guess re remastered or remodeled. Yeah, so that's the Grand Army of the Republic. It's a civil uh, rooms in the rotunda. It's a Civil War memorial. Um, that's why we're all here today. They finished the restoration on it, and honestly, I remember going here when I was a kid, and it was a dark room, kind of like dark academia moodlet, and now walking in today, the light's all bright. The colors are so vibrant. That carpet. The carpet was really the nice. The carpet feeling. was very nice. The I carpet felt bad caught, walking on it. The carpet caught us all by surprise. Like, we like started walking, walking on, on it, and we're like, wait, what? Why, why, why does it feel lighter? Oh, man. All right. Well, uh... I didn't get to see any things you guys were talking about. I went the other way, so I got lost, <laughs> and then yeah. I had to come back here. So, yeah. I, fortunately, I didn't get to see anything. We'll go we see all it took later. a little tour, and we'll sure we'll see around it soon. We but saw the dance studio, so yo, that was cool. I didn't even realize that the Chicago place has a dance studio. Well, in any case, we're all learning a lot today, but we're going to go ahead and take a short break and we'll be right back with an interview with our next guest, the first cultural historian of Chicago. Woo! Sorry. Great, we're live on What's Up 19. And yeah, we're going to go into our next interview. Our next guest, Tim Samuelson, has served Chicago's first and only cultural historian. Tim began his tenure in the position of 2002. As a kid, Tim was infatuated with buildings as soon as he saw Grandma's copy of the Reader's Digest and saw a depiction of the Carson Peary Scott Billy. With all his knowledge, he's the go-to for a unique historical perspective. Officially, Tim retired in 2020, but he still dedicates his time sharing history. So Tim, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. We caught a glimpse of your tour upstairs, and that was really exciting to see. Oh, I was making a lot of noise up there, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. We, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to sit with us today, and I think our listeners will get a lot just uh, based off all the knowledge you have. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. So it's fun. There's a lot going on in the building today, so it's kind of good to move around, and glad you were able to catch some of it. Absolutely. So obviously you served as Chicago's cultural historian. Could you tell me a little bit about you and 
what your role has meant on this restoration. It's kind of, I was at this restoration from the start. In fact, I have a background that not only as a cultural historian, but I worked for many years in the field of historic restoration. So I worked on, say, the Stock Exchange Trading Room at the Art Institute, the Auditorium Theater, and I would walk through the building, and much of the building here at the Cultural Center is beautifully restored. And everyone would talk about, oh, Preston Bradley Hall and the beautiful mosaics and the most beautiful place in the city. And then you'd walk over to the north side of the building, and there's what were the GAR, the Grand Army of the Republic Rooms. It was originally the meeting and gathering place for a veterans organization of Civil War veterans. The interiors were once designed with uh, architects from Boston, Shepley, Rutan, and Coolidge that have an interesting history in themselves, and the colors were by no less than Tiffany. So they wanted to give the veterans the very best, so they gave them Tiffany. But this room really got beat up over time, and I'd go in there and it was so sad. And there was this big leaded glass dome and they had blocked it so natural light wouldn't come through it anymore in the 1930s. And the glass was dirty, and some of it looked like it was going to fall out. You didn't want to stand under it. <laughs> and the beautiful colors that were all shaded by Tiffany were all painted over in the 1970s. And it's just 1970s at its worst. <laughs> so you'd, you'd just walk in there, and you'd just kind of sigh, and, oh, no. And you could just imagine, well, we would have people who were interested in funding a restoration. They'd come into my office and they'd say, well, here, you know the building. And we'd say, they'd say, oh, we'll fund this. And then we'd get the figures to them. And you'd never hear from them again. Because oh, wow. big money. So finally, somebody comes in and they said, we're part of a foundation. Our work is all anonymous. We give anonymously we would like to do the dome. And I'm thinking, and I don't know, yay, but also kind of thinking, you know, it's that whole thing with Charlie Brown and the football, you know, or goes to kick it and, but, yeah, yeah you, know, you, need to, you, to, you land flat on your back. Yep. Disappointed. Well, we go down with the generous donor, and I said, well, here's the dome. And, oh, well, we would be interested in doing this. And then I said, well, you know, under all this ugly gray paint, there's a beautiful Tiffany colors, you know, that, oh, maybe we can help you with that. Well, then I get empowered, see, and I say, well, gee, <laughs> let's go into, there's a room next to this that actually is part of it, and that had nice colors, too. Oh, we can do that. Next thing you know, they're restoring the original light fixtures that were gone for years. There was really ugly tinted glass windows that you couldn't see in the, the building in the 1970s. Take that out, put in clear glass so people can look in 24-7 and see the, the rooms. And so it followed from there. And what they really did, which was really great, is rather than specifically giving us money to do the work, they gave us the architectural restoration dream team the staffing of hiring the very best people who knew how to analyze decorative finishes, how to recreate finishes from 125 years ago, how to remove delicate deteriorating leaded glass, take it apart and put it back together again, all 62,000 pieces. Oh, wow. What? Yeah, 62,000. 
I mean, I, I don't know who did the count. I mean, somebody even said 64,000, but I mean, who's quibbling over a couple <laughs> who, of Who's thousand? counting? Yeah. Uh, sure wasn't me. But uh, so it's, we followed it through. And so this team basically moves in. They scaffold a space, which is almost like the equivalent of two or three stories. And the part that I was beyond belief on this job is we had a woman named Dorothy Crozier, and she is the go-to woman for analyzing painted over surfaces to find what the original color is. And like she'll take these samples and she can like blow the paint up into atoms almost. Oh. And she also knows that when you cover over old paints, when they're covered, they darken and may change color based on what the paint's made out of. But she knows how to look at the sample and turn it back to what it was. So. Great, and so we did find out that in a Tiffany finish, you don't just slap paint on the wall. You actually layer multiple colors on top of each other. And so they, well, one will come through it and you get this real richness. And of course I think, oh no, what's it gonna cost to have somebody layer, you know, five layers of color? Well, then they made an amazing discovery, which I have never had happen in restoring a historic room that was painted over. They found that you could take an X-Acto blade and you could chip little chips of paint, tiny little chips, smaller than your fingernail, and the original color was underneath in good condition. Oh, wow. So now you're kind of juggling, well, what's it gonna take to re create these five layers of color versus having people on a scaffold with little tiny exacto blades chipping a giant room including the ceilings back to the original and that's what we did because actually because it's a tiffany room those painted finishes it's almost like considering a painting in the art institute and those colors were shaded by the hand of somebody back in the 1890s. If you recreated it, you wouldn't know what the hand of that person did. So what happened for a good year? An army of people chipping little pieces of paint, and even including on the ceiling. I mean, talk about a Michelangelo stunt. And so now you've got that back. We were able to restore the original light fixtures, and also, we were able, because that room can be used for gather, different kinds of gatherings, you can push a button and you'll get 1897 quality light. You can push a button and you can get a brighter light for certain kinds of events. We even have it, you can push a button and it's on a timer so that at night in the dark, that room will be lit up and anybody going down Michigan Avenue or in Millennium Park can look through those big windows, which of course we got that nice clear glass in there now. Yeah. And that room will be there 24-7 rather than just uh, during the business hour. So this is remarkable to scope. It's remarkable to the people that got brought in. And that there was a wonderful donor who actually had the modesty. You know, I'm tip I find when people want to fund something, I did this, I want my name on this. Why don't you name it after me? And they said, we don't want anyone to know our identity. I'm sworn to secrecy. I'm sorry, you can try and get it out of me. I, I ain't telling you. Believe me, we, we respect it. Oh. And, they, and they thank you for it. It is an interesting tagline, though. Like, the largest private anonymous donation is 
quite, yeah. quite interesting. Um, yeah. Speaking about that technology and just where it's all played and listening to your description, do you think this kind of restoration of the scale would have been possible then, maybe like 20 or 30 years ago? Actually, no. Um, in fact, having worked in historic restoration, uh, the technologies of change. I mean, for example, I did color analysis, you know, decades ago, and we didn't have the knowledge about the fading or changing of colors that have been, you know, covered over time. And uh, of course, the the interesting that is, if you were going like 20, 30 years ago, it was hard to find the craftspeople who could duplicate these finishes. There has been then, there was kind of a period when these things went out of fashion, and then the number of people who are executing them starts to disappear, they get older and retire. But there have people who have really adopted, you know, people, and actually it's many people who start out with an art degree or an art background, and they get into decorative painting and do this work impeccably. I know in, in this particular case, when you're chipping the paint off, there are some areas that are damaged. There's even like a corner of the room where there was water damage, and you had to replace the plaster. Even if you had mostly original things and a little thumbnail hole of white plaster, they could touch that up so perfectly, you'll never see it. I mean, it's, it's so, there is things happening in terms of available people that know how to recreate these things who have actually, you know, basically brought some of these craft te uh, techniques back from the dead and take pride in, in, in doing it. And also these abilities to, you know, basically do scientific analysis. And one of the things that I was curious about is why did this paint separate? Because it never happens in restoration. Mm. The, the later paint sticks to it like glue. And um, in thinking of why this could happen, so there's three reasons that could happen. Uh, two of them are likely sources. One, it's probably not the case, but it's the one I really wish it was because it's a better story. <laughs> okay. All right, number one. The thin glazes that they put on the wall actually had a weak, soft texture so that when you peeled off the later, harder paint, it goes right down to the original. That could be. Number two, years ago when they used to do fancy finishes that they wanted to last a long time, I and mean, the intention was that nobody would ever paint that original work over at the time. Who would dare do that? But but they did. It was <laughs> the 1970s, you know, bell bottoms and leisure suits. Yeah. Oh Lord. Yeah. Well, this was this was the painted. So here's the poor GAR room, like dressed in a leisure suit. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it looked like. It was the 70s, baby. Oh, yeah. oh, I remember. And I no, I don't want to remember. <laughs> All right, forget 70s. Continue. My wife bought me one of those things. And I, she thought I was going to be so happy, and I, and it, oh, aren't you wearing your leisure suit? And I dumped ink on it. Oh, what an accident. <laughs> well, anyway, so, but, oh, reasons for the, I digress. Reasons why the paint uh, um, appeals is if you had a high-end finish you wanted to protect over time, and, of course, there was coal smoke in the air back in those that would come into the room, and yeah. people would smoke. And actually, those old GAR guys, you see pictures of them, they got big old cigars, you know, so they're smoking up a storm in there. 
But um, what they would do is they would put a coat of starch over everything. And then when it got dirty, it was a dirty layer, you'd wash the dirty starch off and then you would have fresh, as it was, and then put on a new coat of starch. Now I think what happened then was when they repainted everything in that good old 1970s yick, um, they didn't realize there was a starch coat on there and that's why it peels. Now the reason I would like it to be, and I even asked if they could do a scientific analysis to prove this out because it makes a much better story, <laughs> is all those old guys from the Grand Army of the Republic, those old veterans with all their big giant stogies and Pipes and what cigars. Yeah. Good old layer of nicotine. Yeah. And that dome looked like nicotine. I mean it had this distinctive yellowish yick wow. thing. So I wouldn't throw that out there, but it makes a much better story to say it's those those old guys smoking. <laughs> Just such a big layer of nicotine between yeah. the two. Wow. But uh, so anyway, it was a lot of encounters on this. It, it, it's, I mean, this is a job I still pinch myself. I mean, did, did this all this work happen? Would somebody have the time and the guts to chip it little bit by bit? I mean, that's obsessive. It's a good obsessive. It's tedious. <laughs> it's tedious. But uh, I feel like they understood that in the end, it would be worth it. Yeah, and and, it was, and the people were very proud of what they did. There was some areas where there was a thin layer of latex where they didn't paint, a, there wasn't a real thick layer. And they found they could take a cotton, little cotton ball like you buy at the drugstore. And you would dip it with acetone. And you could rub that later paint and it would come off. And they had a team that would do this in such precision, it was fun to watch them. So they'd be standing side by side. And they'd each grab out of a package a little cotton ball put some acetone on it. They'd rub the wall, get it clean, and then they would flip the used uh, cotton ball over their shoulder. So here are these people standing on the scaffold side by <laughs> side, rub, pitch, rub, pitch. And so behind them is like this mountain of these soiled cotton balls. You I, know, can, I, which, can, I can imagine it, just like mini hills of yeah. cotton balls just Oh my God! Just slowly growing over time, as you see people like on, on like scaffolds, right? Yes. Like just like dabbing and then tossing, then picking another one, dabbing and then tossing. Oh, that's that sounds that sounds so hilarious and amazing. It was, and I mean, of course, that's in in many ways. If you go into a medical world and you're doing an operation, that's what you sometimes do: is you pitch it over your shoulder. Were the people like behind catching, or was it just piles? No, that's acetone. You want to steer clear of that. Ah, so, I see. But it was. We, we took pictures of it, you know. And then, of course, the what was great too is they would have these wood carts on wheels, and it would have little bottles of paint and tints. And this wasn't like you know ten or twenty. I mean, it looked like there were like seventy-five. And they knew because an arch might be painted one color, the wall decided another. Different moldings would have another color, on, you know, besides that, and they would have to constantly be mixing and shading. There's even things I think where they had to generate because where the wall might be faded, where there were windows, one wall might be a little different than another, and they had to adjust the color. So it is all kinds of technology and uh, you know just technique and to do it. Wow, that's crazy. So during our research. 
we discovered that you like to collect doorknobs. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Extensive research. Very extensive yeah, research. Yeah, okay, that's pretty extensive to find that one out. <laughs> I, I usually kind of keep that one a secret, but um, okay, you, you nailed me out. That's secret enough. But, yeah, and I started out, so, well, it was, I was in grade school. Really? And we had, uh, and, and if you went to Chicago public schools, and the school was of a certain age, the doorknob had the seal of the Board of Education stamped in it. It had a torch and a hand holding the torch. It said Board of Education, City of Chicago. And I was always lousy in art class. And whenever we had to do a craft project, I knew I could get a good grade by taking a wad of clay and push it into the doorknob. And then, of course, this is what you're in grade school. You're making ashtrays back in the day. <laughs> and so I'd make an ashtray with the Board of Education seal backwards. So then they announced there was a, there was actually there was a tragic fire in Chicago involved the school and they blamed the light. so they start to take the hardware out. So I write I print I wasn't doing cursive a letter to the principal and say don't take these out they're really beautiful and this and that. So I get called down to the principal's office. Everybody thought I was in trouble, and the principal says oh there's this terrible tragedy and it involved locks and it's not safe we have to and she opened the desk drawer and gave me a set of the doorknobs. I've still got it to this day. Those sit on my desk here at the Cultural Center. Wow. Oh, wow. And then I discovered in my architectural research that when they designed the first skyscrapers in Chicago, and Chicago had the pioneering skyscrapers, and they were designed by impassioned architects who wanted all parts of the design to relate to the whole, that they needed so many doorknobs, unprecedentedly large number of doorknobs for a skyscraper, they could justify custom designing it just for that building. So when I was in grade school, I would go with a basket and sneak downtown. My folks thought I was down at the playground. I shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't cross the busy streets, but I was going downtown. He <laughs> had a mission. Yeah, yeah I, know, I was on a mission. Yes. And, and I, I'd go from building to building, and I would find the building carpenter. And I'd say, do you have an extra of your doorknob? And they, of course, they were amazed to see this kid, you know, with this basket. The doorknobs are worth it. Yeah, that was it. And <laughs> then I'd take them home, and I had to figure out how to hide them because I couldn't explain it to my parents where all these doorknobs were coming from. So I was hiding them out in the backyard and things like that. But so then I wound up doing scholarship. There's actually a doorknob collector's society. They have meetings. I think they're having one this year in Bloomington or somewhere. But I just like the idea of the birth of the skyscraper and, you know, architects like Louis Sullivan and John Welburn Root who are trying to create a new design and the whole idea of the integrity of overall design goes right down to the tiny doorknob. So, and I've written about that. I've given talks about it. It's just a little side gig. So it kind of grew for me, you know, writing a, le a letter to my principal, going downtown with a basket. And, and I've still got, so I think I got about 250 doorknobs. Wow. wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of doorknobs. Yeah, Did that principal ever find stuff. out that she started something from there? Actually, I, wondered, I wanted to reach out to her, to, you know, if, in, in, because I mean, I'm sure there weren't many of her, uh, the students in the school that were asking for doorknobs. No. Actually, the funny thing about it is there's a back plate that goes with the doorknob, and I didn't get the back plate. So I keep thinking of writing to the current principal <laughs> and say, have you got any of the extra back plate? 
I'm class of whatever the heck I was. But uh, <laughs> I, and every once in a while, I think I'm going to write that letter again and see what happens. Just well, in some ways, I almost want to just do it just to see. Yeah, just to do it for the kicks. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sure that principal, well, here's one weird kid. And she was right. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time here to answer a few questions of ours. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, any questions you have, or and I'll give you the answer or make it up to suit. We appreciate that. Seems like it's always a fun time getting to talk to you, and we're happy we got the chance to do it today. Well, thanks for having me. It's a great gig. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you. Well, we are Yolo Kelly. We are, this is What's Up, and we are at the Chicago Cultural Center live. We're going to take just a short break, and... What's up? We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. You're still listening to What's Up on WLPN, Chicago 115.5, London Radio, broadcasting live from the Chicago Cultural Center. Today we have a passerby, and we just want to ask a few questions. Would you like to start us off, Sid? Well, let's uh, introduce our guest. His name is Barry. Can you introduce us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I, my name is Barry Young. I uh, live in Oak Park, and uh, I came down today to, obviously, to see the restoration, the opening weekend. Well, thank you for taking the time to sit by and sit with us. Uh, even with the weather and everything, Oak Park's a little bit of ways sure. away. And of course, now I'm in a, in a tough spot because I'm following Tim Samuelson, who knows everything. <laughs> I, there's no way I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, compete with that, but I'll give it my best shot. Well, we appreciate it, and we're excited to hear what you have to say. Um, so we've got a couple questions for you. Very you important go. questions. Yeah. So what did you have for breakfast? What I had for breakfast, I yes. think I had a bowl of Frosted Flakes, but aside, aside from that. <laughs> Is that a usual, usual case that's, for you? That's a usual, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's quick and easy. And uh, I got a question. Do you, yeah. do you heat up your cereal? I do not. Oh. I do not. Do not, do not go into the is the cereal soup thing. Do not, do no, not, do like not go into that discussion cereal. right now live on radio. Yeah, I've used up all my material on, on soups already and, and cereals, so... <laughs> Was there like a specific draw that brought you here for the event? Yeah, there was. Um, I'm always interested in, in these kinds of uh, events um, because it, it highlights something that I've, I've always been rather surprised about. And that is when there are restorations, it always seems to be the, uh, a major effort and a major cost to undo something that somebody else did before it's not necessarily there's always deterioration of the of the original work but more so it seems to be correcting previous uh, generations previous eras idea of of what the structure should 
should look like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been to, they recently did a restoration of the Newberry Library within the last three years where they corrected a, some of the uh, layout changes that, again, were made, you know, in this infamous period of the, of the 60s and 70s when there seemed to be a different kind of aesthetic uh, as regards architecture and, and what was appropriate. Uh, where I live in Oak Park, uh, there's a, uh, a large single-family residence called Pleasant Home. It's on the corner of Pleasant and Home Streets. And that was used as a, as a uh, park facility for a long time with no respect for the property itself. And uh, there are stories that uh, you know, clotheslines uh, were were set up, you know, for you know people to you know come in and you know, dry clothes and, and and so on. Just you know, desecration of the basic uh, architecture. And um, but that aside, you know, we're talking today uh, here at the library about the changes that that were made in in the 70s and what they considered to be perhaps improvements or perhaps some kind of restorative features. So painting over, uh, you know, beautiful woodwork with uh, dull gray and, uh, and changing basic architectural elements. It, it seems like so much of what we do, as I said, is, is trying to get it back to the way it was. And, and then you begin the question, well, why did anyone ever want to change it in the first place? What was their motivation? Why did they think gray was better than natural woodwork? You, you folks aren't as old as I am, I won't say by <laughs> age on the radio, but well, I guess you I've been a very young. Yeah. <laughs> nice 23. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, I've been in, in, uh, in many places, homes and, and apartments, where at some point linoleum is, is put over natural oak floors, natural pine floors, woodwork, the original woodwork uh, is, is just painted over with a, a basic, you know, white kind of paint. Um, things that were in vogue at the time, and that may be fine for apartments and, and single family homes, but for major architectural uh, pieces that belong to the entire city. Historical Historic, halls. Historical halls, historical pieces. There should be, when someone says, well, we need to modernize this, there should be a voice that says, we no. need to, we, well, no, yes, we need, and why? We need to, we need to keep this to reflect uh, the period when it was built. Look back at our past and reflect on our history. Exactly, and modernizing it is is the antithesis of, of that. It's saying, well, that wasn't that wasn't appropriate for now. We're going to make it look like now, and then for the future, people coming in will see something that looks like the '60s and '70s rather than the 1890s, and and then and that's a shame. So I like to come down to these events with a special emphasis on looking at at the changes that were made and why they were made and how they were undone. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Barry, and right. we appreciate uh, sitting down. We are live at the Cultural Center, and we've spoken to Deputy Commissioner at D Case, Nancy Villafranca, historian Tim Samuelson, and now our new friend, Barry. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you. We'll be right back after some promos. You're still listening to What's Up on WLPN, Chicago 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Chicago Cultural Center. What's up? We'll be right back after the break. 
You're listening to What's Up on WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from the Chicago Cultural Center. For today's show, you'll hear all about the 125th anniversary of the Chicago Cultural Center, from what it is to how it has been activated by the Department of Cultural Affairs and special events after the pandemic, to the reopening of the Grand Army of the Republic, Memorial Hall, and Rotunda. In our first hour, we spoke with historian Tim Samuelson and Commissioner of DK's Aaron Harkey. This upcoming hour, we have an interview with Buddy Store director Stella Brown. We will also have an interview with artist Damon Reed, who currently has an exhibition going on in the Cultural Center, as well as a Vox Pop with people that are attending the occasion. Stay tuned to listen to this and much more. Welcome back. Uh, this is Estefania here with Francesca. And Angel. Hello. We will be hosting this half of the show, so let's get to it. How is everyone doing? Good. I like the dome. It was really aesthetically pleasing. It was really pretty. We're also here with Damon Reed. How are you today? I'm good. Good. Good? Yeah, yeah, we're here with Damon Lamar Reed, a Chicago artist and muralist who focuses on using his art to uplift and inspire people. He's worked with Chicago Public Schools, the Chicago Lighthouse, and Sears, among other clients. Currently, there's a documentary in production about Damon and the Still Searching Project, a series of portraits of missing black women and girls in the Chicagoland area. So, can you tell us a little bit more about you? Yes, uh, once again, Damon Lamar Reed. I uh, graduated from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, after that, I began doing murals uh, to date. I have about 280 completed murals. Wow. Um, some of them in Chicago, well, a lot of them in Chicago, and also some other states, um, Tennessee, Texas, Florida, Indiana, you know. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, let's see. What's, uh, can you tell us a bit about your process when you create an art mm-hmm. piece? Yeah. I mean, I start off with, I guess, just inspiration from God, you know. So, you know, I think the idea is the most important part about, actually, I think the idea is the art piece. You know, anybody can paint something or have the skills to, you know, kind of do that, but only you can come up with your idea. Definitely. Well, I noticed you use a lot of um, acrylic and pastels in your work. Um, So why the use of that instead Mm -hmm. of other media? I would say I started using acrylic because I was doing a lot of murals and, you know, I just became really proficient in uh, using acrylic and I like to add uh, some mixed media. So, you know, I I started using pastels. I also use a lot of mosaic. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I was looking at the work um, at the exhibit over there and it's really beautiful, um, all the use of color. Thanks. In each piece. What do you think has been the most memorable reaction you've gotten from your art? I mean, I would say, you know, for my um, Still Searching project, which is, you know, showing at the Cultural Center right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I kind of go back to Still Searching Project is where I do portraits of uh, missing black women from the Chicago area. So um, just the response to that are, you know, families of some of the missing women, like some of, you know, the parents and just them like shedding tears over the art that I created. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, that's, you know, has caused a big impact. Yeah, I'm sure. It was, 
had to hold back some tears looking at some of those too. Yeah. Um, I also read that you attended uh, the Skohegan School of Painting and Sculpture. How yeah. Well, that was our artist uh, residency. Mm-hmm. I would say what was so, you know, big about that. You know, I did go to the School of the Art Institute. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I really, like, learned at the Art Institute. <laughs> but I did get to, like, you know, work on my craft. However, when I went to Skowhegan, um, we had, you know, artists coming in, giving us critiques. Like, uh, you know, Kara Walker came and gave me a critique. Um, Allison Czar and some other people. Um, and at that time, people, you know, they said my work reminded them of Carrie James Marshall. And it turned out that when I ended up coming back to Chicago, I met him and then he put me in uh, his art show at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Oh, wow. So, that's, yeah. That's amazing. Um, how would you say your art style has changed over time? You've been doing this a while now, right? Yeah, I mean, 22 years as a full-time artist. Um, I would definitely say I've got more experimental with uh, colors. You know, when I was painting before, I would everybody would be, you know, the skin color and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, now I'm definitely more expressionistic, and I'm not as, as focused on, you know, making something, like, realistic or... You know, it's more about the feeling that people get from it rather than, you know, just trying to make something, you know, just like this picture or something like that. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of depth to, like, each painting you have. There's a lot going on, but it all, like, comes together so nicely. Um, We talked a little bit about still searching. Can you tell us a little bit more about the exhibition you have here? Uh, Yeah, it displays, I want to say it's uh, 17... Uh, portraits of women that are currently missing. Um, there's also a large uh, map in there, and it kind of has, you know, the general locations of where they went missing. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it to uh, help raise awareness for the plight of missing women. And, you know, like I said earlier, also to help um, honor the families, you know, bring hope to the families. And, you know, so far it's going real well. I've actually met with um, about six of the families. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, how do you think we can bring more awareness to this issue? How can our community get um, more involved to help? Um, I would say just by people talking about it. You know, I encourage people to, to post about it. Um, and I think, you know, the more people talking about it, And that's just going to cause, you know, that may cause law enforcement to take a deeper look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, that'll cause, you know, news media to get more involved Mm -hmm. and, you know, just to help bring that change more. I know they're also working on passing certain, you know, certain laws and things like that to help bring more resources to uh, missing and murdered black and brown women. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, definitely just more talking about it, posting about it on social media, because really, I've seen, I've seen it happen on social media where people solve things all on their own, just talking about it yeah, and yeah. sharing their experiences. Um, but yeah, you guys should come and check out this exhibition whenever you can. What's next for you in your uh, art projects? Um, next, I mean, for my art projects in general, I'm uh, currently working on 
uh, several mural projects, you know, which I've been doing. Um, I recently got a NAP grant from the city of Chicago to work on the steel searching project. So, uh, you know, this spring and summer and, you know, for the rest of the year, we're going to be doing public uh, murals of different missing women. And we're also working on a documentary for the Steel Searching Project um, that's funded by Hulu and Cartemquin Films. So, awesome. you know, that should be uh, coming out next year. Exciting. Sounds awesome. Damon, I have a kind of an important question for you. We're all wondering. We are huge pet people here. Do you have any pets? No, I don't have any pets. <laughs> <laughs> is there a pet you would like to have like a dream pet eventually um growing up i always wanted a turtle you know oh, i never got one uh, you know that part of my life is uh, i need to talk to my mama about that. <laughs> <laughs> turtles are great you know even though my daughters want like a, they want a cat or something oh, cats we're like, are great. they're like no <laughs> you know they got a digi pet you know <laughs> <laughs> that's something yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We learned a lot about Damon Reed and his current project today. Thank you so much for being here and talking with us. Thanks. Uh, Can I do a little self-promotion? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, catch me on uh, social media at Damon Lamar Reed. That's D-A-M-O-N-L-A-M-A-R-R-E-E-D. Or you can go to the website, which is also Reed. Or, you know, Google me, but mm -hmm. stay self-promoting, so yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank right, you. Thanks. This was fun, you guys. Well, yeah. How do you guys like the Buddy Store? There's a lot of stuff in here. I like all the art books, just the different artists that I've seen. You know, mm -hmm. some skeleton artwork, some like mural artwork, just a lot of variety. Yeah, there's like plushies here. There's soap. There's so many kinds of art, and it's more than just, like, books or something. Even vinyls I it's saw. Like, yeah, there's puzzles and the little plushies with the funny eyes. Uh, there's a lot in here. There's um, pillows, I think. <laughs> and you guys got to see the Tiffany Dome, right? We went to go look at that earlier. Yeah. Did you see your Zodiac sign up there? Yeah, mm -hmm. and then uh, names of historians like Shakespeare I saw as well. Oh, wow. I didn't get to see that. Well, it cleared out in here. There was a lot of people in here earlier. Um, it did. It definitely did. That's cool. Now we can see everything else. There's a giant grapefruit in the corner over there. It says it's a grapefruit. It's, uh, it looks like a big pearl. And like it's wrapped in like, like cling wrap. I don't know if you guys saw that over there, but it looks really cute. I don't know if you can see, but there's a giant vase over there of a skull and then it has like flames around it. I thought that was really cool. That Mass is really massive. pretty. There's clothes here too. And jewelry. I love it. And keychains. <laughs> so many keychains. Well, you're listening to What's Up. We're broadcasting live from the Buddy Store and just hanging out here with everybody. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be back. Yeah. 
Welcome back. We're here sitting with some fine folks just viewing the event, interviewing passerbys. I'm Francesca, and I'm here interviewing with Angel. Hello. Angel. And Estefania. We're here talking to Liz. She's an artist. Um, can you tell us more about what you do here? Oh, sure. Um, so I'm a printmaker, and uh, I have a business called Hoofprint. And so we make our own work, but we also invite artists to come in and make collaborative editions in our studio. Um, and some of that work is featured here at Buddy. And uh, I, it's really exciting to get to meet so many artists here in Chicago. Awesome. Yeah, where's your stuff at here in the store? So over in the corner, kind of in front of the works on paper, we have a little uh, live printing setup, and we're printing coasters to keep your coffee table cute. Um, but it's by a number of artists who are all local Chicago artists who carved lino cuts that we're printing using our homemade car jack press. So everyone has a car jack in their trunk mm -hmm. of their car. And um, one of our, our car died several years ago, but oh. we saved the, this piece of machinery that allows you to change your tire. Mm. Um, and we made it into a little press that prints linoleum cuts. Oh, wow. So that's what's going on over there. That's funny. I just had to change a tire last week. <laughs> yup. <laughs> You're reusing stuff. That's great. What is your favorite part about the cultural center? Well, I've heard that there's a new renovation. I haven't been up to see it yet, but I heard that they redid a stained glass dome. Have y'all been here? Maybe you know more than I do about that. Yeah, we went up there earlier. It looked really nice. Um, we also got to see the carpet. I guess it used to be tile, and then they redid that uh, same tile pattern on the carpet. I thought that was really cool, so you should check that out. I'm excited to do that later. <laughs> Have you heard of this event before? Yeah, so I saw it on Instagram, and um, I, I obviously I knew about it because we we're doing a live printing thing here, but um, I saw it through Buddy and through Stella's uh, accounts on social media. And I've lived in Chicago since I was 12, so I have really fond memories of coming here to the Cultural Center to see art exhibits, um, I had a friend who got married here, so this building is so cool to be in and definitely bring, kind of like going to the Harold Washington Library or mm -hmm. these other iconic places downtown where, um, you know, that are public spaces. Um, it definitely like feels good and kind of nostalgic to be here. Yeah. Remember coming here like in like after school in like eighth grade, like, yeah. oh, we're going to whatever, corner bakery, right, and then we'll hang out downtown. at the cultural center. <laughs> yeah. Taking the train down. Uh, what part of Chicago are you from? Um, so I grew up north of Albany Park in Budlong Woods. Since then, I've lived in Logan Square. I've lived in Pilsen, and I now live in McKinley Park, which is just south of Pilsen. What's your favorite part about today so far? Um, I didn't know I would be talking to you all, so this is pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Well, we're happy you're here. Thank you for talking with us. Yeah, thanks um, for interviewing me. 
uh, what activities do you do here at the store aside from like the printmaking that you mentioned earlier? Oh, sure. So, um, I, so like I mentioned earlier, we make collaborative editions with Chicago artists. And so we sell that work here, which helps us fund more projects to work with more artists. Um, and I also make ceramics, which are sold here. Um, I also like to come here and grab a, some refreshments. I bought almost all my Christmas gifts here last year, which was really convenient. And some weird stuff that some of my relatives were like, I don't know about that, but it's unique. <laughs> um, which is a reaction that I love. Um, and yeah, we're really excited to be getting our hands inky and uh, putting some images on paper for this coaster giveaway going on today. So it's always cool when you can make free art for people. It's also, I mean, it's important for artists to get paid, but it's also important that everyone can have original handmade art. So it's always cool when stuff can be free. Yeah, that accessibility. How do you think people can be more aware about independent working artists? That's a really good one. Um, I think if you see something you like, it's really important to figure out who made it. Um, and sometimes that information is easier to find and sometimes it isn't. Um, I think that a lot of people I know are interested in collecting antiques or like buying vintage clothing, mm -hmm. which I know is really cool. And I, I get that that's like a good for the earth not to buy new stuff. Mm -hmm. But I also think that um, sometimes buying like vintage or antique things that are just made in a factory that happen to be old can maybe prevent you from buying work by living artists, um, which I think is the most important thing, right? To yeah. not, you know, it, a lot of people buy art, you know, a lot of really highfalutin people with a lot of money buy art that's by artists who are no longer living. Mm -hmm. And I get that that's important, but I feel like buying art should be less about investing money and it should be more about making a connection with other people who are, who are alive now, yeah. who you can talk to, you know, who you can have a, some kind of relationship with. So um, I think something I've tried to do in my life is um, figure out if, if I'm going to buy something, like figure out is there someone who is making this right now and if I buy it from them, that might allow them to make more of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and kind of flourish. So um, Buddy is a great example of a place where you can buy art by working artists, mm -hmm. um, working living artists. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. There is a bunch of different things in here. Um, and like you said, like random <laughs> things. I think I saw like an extension cord over there, but it's not an extension Right, cord. it's like a trompe l'oeil, like the carpet you described, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it's cool. If you're intrigued by something, like if, it, if you are thinking about something, you have, to, you have to have it, right? I think it's okay to not, it's okay to like art that isn't beautiful, mm -hmm. and it's also okay to like art that you don't know if you get it yet. Yeah. Like, I think it's cool to surround yourself with things that are kind of like posing a question and then you can look at them and think about what the answer may be and you don't need to know what the answer is. Yeah. And that could be a piece of art or it could be like a weird piece of trash you found in that, <laughs> I don't know, like it could be any, any object that 
you know, maybe it's not pretty, but maybe you're like, this is like, there's something about this that I, like an earworm, like a song that you can't yeah. figure out. So yeah, it's cool to have weird stuff around you that makes you go like, right. like what? Yeah. Like the talking pieces in your house. Just Definitely. Something cool to have on your wall. Definitely. Um, you mentioned earlier that you grew up coming to the cultural center with friends and everything. Did you ever expect like uh, being here in the future as an adult, selling artwork, being an artist? Like, what what was your path towards becoming an artist? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I am very good at envisioning. I know people are always like, "Oh, like envision what you want and then move toward that goal." Like, are do are people actually good at seeing the future? I feel like I'm. Uh, I'm always surprised by what happens, like even like, you know, three weeks from now, I'm not sure what's gonna happen. Right, I didn't know you were gonna be on this show today. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I know, I guess I would say maybe I didn't envision any of this and it kind of just feels like surfing the wave of um, making like, I think it's about making personal connections with people, right? And so like the cultural center is a cool building but ultimately, it's only as cool as the people, maybe cool is the wrong word, it, it, the opportunities that people can have here are created by the people here, not by the historic architecture. So I think that um, any, any successes that I've had and any successes anyone else has are just because you like met someone and made some kind of connection with them and then that led to some kind of thing later on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to predict any of that. It's total chaos, right? So you just have to kind of embrace it. Well, thank you for joining us here, Liz. It was great to have this conversation. Uh, now we'll have a short break and be right back. You're listening to What's Up on WLP and LP, Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Chicago Cultural Center. What's Up, we'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to What's Up. So our next guest today is Stella Brown, an artist, curator, and native Chicagoan. In the last seven years, she has presented her own artwork and curated a number of public exhibitions and program events at venues, including Gallery 400 at the University of Illinois at Chicago, Comfort Station, 
University of Wisconsin-Madison, Efrain Lopez Gallery, the Museum of Contemporary Art, Slow Pony Projects, and Shoot the Lobster. Since 2014, she has worked as ACRE, which stands for Artist Cooperative Residency and Exhibitions, Kitchen Program as a cook and administrator. She's also an arts educator and works in set decoration and film production. Currently, she's not only the artistic director at the Buddy Store, but also curates and manages the shop in general. Stella, it's nice to have you here today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hi. Thank you for being here. Thank you for broadcasting from the shop. Um, so we're on the first floor of the Cultural Center, closer to the Washington entrance. We've got a shop that we've put together with DCASE, which is the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. They're providing this space for us. And they, we were asked to create an, what they called an art store. And so we put something together that's become more like local artists and small businesses and projects. And the whole point of this store is to create this sort of platform and place in downtown Chicago for artists and businesses that are very local and maybe don't have a chance to be represented in downtown Chicago. Um, and I'll also say that we're part of a nonprofit, Public Media Institute, and they have an exhibition space in Bridgeport called uh, Co Prosperity and Lumpen Radio, which we're on, <laughs> and we print Lumpen Magazine. So, this is all part of that project. Okay. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself as an artist? You work with unusual mediums. Uh, could you perhaps tell us about the material you use in making art pieces? Uh, can you describe a piece you made and then, like, sure. what was the design process behind it? Sure. So, I am an artist, but a lot of the work that I make is sort of curatorial in nature. So I do a, a lot of collecting and making things, but also kind of like getting information together and then presenting it. So I kind of say the medium that I work in is presentation or display. So this shop is kind of a version of that. So even though I haven't had much time to make my own work, this feels like presenting something is, is its own creative um, kind of act but something else another part of my art practice is I have an interest in thinking about the city as its own piece of geology so if we think about the idea of the Anthropocene humans are inventing an entire layer on the earth that will be in the geologic record in a million years so if we think about Chicago as a piece of geology that we humans are making right now you can think about everything that's here kind of getting smushed into this tiny layer and if aliens come here in a million years and they dig up the ground, they'll see that there's brick. And like in this beautiful building, there's like limestone, which is native to here, but we brought it here. There's like, like if you go into the, um, the Gar Hall that was just restored, there's like, I think there's Italian green marble. There's all these mosaic tiles and glass. So if you think of that becoming a rock, um, that's another thing I'm interested in. So what I was doing was sort of creating my own version of that rock. So as buildings around the city were getting demolished, I would collect those materials and turn them into a new rock using the terrazzo method. And there's terrazzo floors in this building, which is kind of like combining garbage rocks and then grinding them down to, you know, reveal a different rock. Cool. Uh, how has your career as an artist and designer led to the creation of the Buddy Store? What were your biggest inspirations when making the store? Mm. Well, like I said, I've always had an interest in display. And I think when I was um, even as young as an undergraduate, um, I was sort of thinking of like my main interest there was museums and I kind of created my own museum studies program in a way. So it came from an interest in museums, but also just the idea of display and that different types of museums 
can display similar objects, but that the meaning is changed based on how it's being presented. So an African mask at the Art Institute is art, but an African mask at the, at the Field Museum is a specimen. And also, what is an African mask used for by the person that made that mask? You know, is it art to them? Is it a useful object? So I really liked the idea that something can, the meaning of something can change based on the way you present it. Um, so I, after that, I kind of like in, like I said, I'm making art and I'm showing art all the time and those things have kind of blended together. So just over the years, I've organized various shows of like my own work, other people's work and kind of blended it all together. So I feel like this is, at least in this moment, kind of like a combination of all those experiences into this place, which I'm hoping is doing the thing of confusing objects by saying, this is a store, but it's also sort of a gallery, but, but sort of messing with, you know, the posters behind you are $20, which is really affordable for art, but it's still art, but it's something that you can just pick up and take home with you rather than $20,000 painting that <laughs> I can't afford. <laughs> Uh, so the Buddy Store has been open for nearly a year now. I believe you guys opened back in June. Mm -hmm. uh, in this short time span, has the store shaped out to be what you envisioned it to be, or has it been expanded into something much more? Yeah, I think it has become something much more than I expected. I think when we first started this, it was before COVID, and I was thinking of it almost like a museum gift store, right? Like I needed to represent a nice sort of like diversity of artists in all senses of the word from different places, different backgrounds, different types of art into the shop. But I realized with like help from the from the city, um, from DCase that this was gonna be a very, very public store and venue and that there's so many artists in Chicago, we needed to create a way to make it accessible to people who were interested in selling at the shop. So what we've done is, we have an open application system. If you go on our website, which is hi-buddy.org, in the main menu, there's a button that says apply, and there's a super simple form. So anyone that lives in Chicago or the Chicagoland area can fill out that form and just tell us who you are, what you make, and it doesn't have to be quote unquote art, you know, like we sell, like you guys said, soap and stuffed animals and puzzles, and we sell packaged food. So as long as you're making something locally, um, we're interested in selling it. And so this has become, we have over, I would say over 250 artists in the shop. Oh we're about God. to, we just did a review and we're about to fold in another 50 or so. And if you count all the artists that we've put in our sort of like rotating exhibitions program, which I call art for sale, okay. <laughs> I would say we've interacted with over 500 artists, even like in less than a year. So that's a ton. I did not expect it to be so vast, but I'm really glad that it is. And I'll say, just since I mentioned Art for Sale, we are having a exhibition open on April 8th, and we're going to have a, a reception here from 5 to 8 p.m. at Buddy, and it is a pinata show. So I've got Ooh. seven or eight local artists that designed pinatas, and then I've gone to three different um, pinata shops and giving them business and we'll, we'll kind of represent them here in the show and then the pinatas will be for sale. And hopefully it's kind of, you know, non-traditional things you might not necessarily see in a pinata shop classically, so that should be interesting. Okay, uh, speaking about art shows and everything, in an interview with New City Design, you mentioned that you want to, the Buddy Store to be a home to many artists and designers. 
Uh, how are you doing that now, and do you have any plans to further expand that idea in the future? Yeah, I think that, like I mentioned, the open application system is the main way that we're doing it right now. But I think, I mean, there's always so much work that we can keep doing. So opening up the space to people like you, like to Yolo Kali, or other programs. You know, we have a couple um, sort of like programs or special organizations represented in the shop like one is a show called pocket object which is curated by an artist noel moracle and it represents over 200 artists who made one of a kind keychains and she made this show years ago it traveled around and it kind of needed a home so we gave it a home um we also have something called trunk show which is a, a kind of like bumper sticker gallery program that stopped but they've got kind of like a back stock of bumper stickers that artists mm -hmm. made we've got that in the shop so opening the store up and letting organizations kind of like curate a show this this fall hopefully august or september we'll have a show from envision unlimited which is a program they have they have sites all over the city i think they have eight it's a like a day program for adults with disabilities but they have a lot of like art programs folded into it and they over the years have worked with the chicago creative reuse exchange which recycles used kind of throwaway materials mm -hmm. and they use the leftover fabric and yarn that they get to make shag rugs and pillows like real long like stringy beautiful plush things and we have some in the shop for sale so we're going to have a show with Envision Unlimited and have sort of like a retrospective of shag rugs. And those are all be for sale, too. So giving over more space to people that that want it and want a little voice downtown. I want to keep doing that. Cool. Uh, art has changed so much, especially during these past two years. How has the Chicago art scene in particular, uh, both in the past and present, influenced the store? Um, I would say that I... I'm from Chicago. I've been back here from since college, <laughs> since uh, 2010. And I think Chicago is really special. I mean, everyone feels this about their city, but Chicago has this feeling of community. It feels much less competitive than New York, New York City, for example. And we have a history of artist-run spaces and apartment galleries that's really unique to this city. And so I think there's this feeling of like, you can just do it if you try. <laughs> and sometimes, unfortunately, that means there's not enough money to do it and you're doing a lot of work for not very much money. But I think our organization, Public Media Institute, has a history of being artist-run and just kind of like giving space to people that are asking for it and saying, there's no money, but you can do it. <laughs> um, so I think the like spirit of all of that is in this store, hopefully. Um, and... Yeah, it's been hard during the pandemic that because it's, at least to me, such a like community-oriented, quote-unquote, art scene, that you, you see people at openings, you see them at events, and when those stopped, that was a little disheartening, but that was true for everyone in every part of life. So it's really nice to finally get to see and talk and meet people again and see more art and i think especially like this weekend at the cultural center feels really like okay things are getting a little better there's people here we're talking we're seeing art so hopefully that continues cool uh, what are your personal favorite things about the store from people walking in and shopping to seeing the unique selection of items what factors here make you go this is exactly why i opened the store <laughs> it's so funny yesterday we were getting some new art and so i got a box and I open the box, and it's just full of potato-shaped candles. 
Okay. There's no packaging. It's just full of potato candles. And I was like, this is why I like this shop. Because <laughs> there's so many things that you don't see other places. You're not coming in contact with until you have this venue to give that stuff a home. And it's really exciting to me to be able to put these... I guess like some people could say weird or maybe not that useful things that are being made, this sort of like original creative output that's being put into the world and isn't really quote unquote a product um, to be able to like gather all that stuff here. And also, especially after the pandemic, I'm a very like material oriented person. I love things. I love things in person that you can touch and feel and having that here and having people being able to come in and like not have the art institute or gallery experience where there's art on the wall and you don't touch it but it's like you walk into a shop and it's art and it's uh it's a it's like a sorry someone just came up and asked me what is this is this soap and it's a it's a um styrofoam peanut but the oh, artist, Nick Van there. Zanten, made a mold of the styrofoam peanut, and then he cast them in concrete. So we have a jar full of concrete peanuts. And they're art, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they cost $5. So you can take home a piece of art for $5. And even if you don't want to buy it, you can pick it up and hold it. And that's the kind of thing that absolutely could be at the Art Institute. A little pile of cement peanuts under a vitrine, and don't you dare touch it but here you get to touch it. So that's the thing that makes me excited. Cool, cool. Yeah, I feel like the more you look around here, like you see something new, just the more time you spend walking around, looking mm-hmm. around. Um, next to the soap over there, there's like a pump. I don't know what it is, but is it like a oil? I put it on my hands. Yeah, we have, um, <laughs> we, we're selling a line of products kind of like home and self-care products from the artist Jen De Los Reyes who's an administrator at UIC she's also an artist and an organizer and she has a farm sort of like uh, an urban farm in her back garden called Garbage Hill Farm and she's doing a ton of cool stuff she's sort of making it like open access to people and growing food for the neighborhood and she's also making these nice natural products so i think what you tried would be the everything oil which she advertises as like it's for everything put it everywhere on your body (laughs) okay yeah it smelled really good i thought it was lotion Mm -hmm. so yeah no it is it is it's (laughs) oh it's it's everything everything. (laughs) it's lotion for your face it's for your hair it's for your body yes yeah it smells great awesome um i have a question um how old were you when you started doing art Mm. I would say, well, hopefully this is true of everyone, that everybody, it sounds very nerdy, but everybody's born an artist, right? Art is just making things. I think humans are made, they're the most happy when they're doing and making things. They were like, we're farming, we're hunting, we're collecting food, we're making baskets, we're making pottery. That's how humans should live. And I think slowly over the years from going to school, from getting a job where you just sit in front of a computer, (laughs) you stop making things. But I think everybody's an artist. I was very lucky to grow up in a family where my father's a filmmaker and my mother's an artist. So we always made art and I was always, I always had access to art classes and art programs. Um, And you guys are really lucky to have Yolo Kali. Um, So I would say 
forever, but maybe when I started being more serious about it, thinking I want to, you know, quote unquote, show my art was maybe in college. But to be honest, I didn't have an exhibition until I was, let's see, 2014. So um, my late 20s. Um, and that came out of uh, the residency program you mentioned, Acre. That was a really great experience. And they have, it's, it's an open application to anyone and you apply. You get to go to this residency in um, southwestern Wisconsin in this really beautiful part of the state. And then after that, you're given an exhibition. So it's a really great thing for young artists to get an opportunity to show their work. So yeah, a little older, 28. <laughs> Still young. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie though, when I asked that question, you gave a good answer too. Thank you, yeah. I think, I think I always tell young artists, it's like, it's important to not think that you make art and then you go to art school and then you get a show and then you get famous or you know, that there's this specific trajectory because I, I didn't go to an art school for undergrad. I went to school to learn things to make art about, is what I say. And then I decided to go back and get a graduate degree in art when I was, I think, 32 or 33 at UIC, which has a really great MFA program. So I don't think there's some rule about when you should or shouldn't do things or make art and, you know, you can always go back to it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stella, for taking the time to talk with us today. And uh, make sure to check out the Buddy Store here at the Chicago Cultural Center where you'll find a bunch of weird but also really fun artwork. Yeah, great. buy a pack and peanut. It's random. It's random. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. This is What's Up on WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. Ooh. Our first show of season 19. We're here at the Chicago Cultural Center. Shout out to Buddy for having us and all the wonderful people out with us today. Yeah. We learned about the restoration of the Grand Army of the Republic, Memorial Hall, and Rotunda. Talked to some artists that are currently exhibiting here at the Chicago Cultural Center, and we love the people who participated in this show. Ooh, thank you, everybody. Shout out to August Abitang, who was in controls today. Jerry and Charlie in our Lumpen Radio studio doing the connection. Steph, who held it down for us. And... We're your hosts, Sid, Jeremiah, Diego, Angel, Francesca, and Estefania. See you next show. Bye. 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 And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No. And y'all, who let her back in? And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard, heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kali. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up? What's Up? What's up?